Morning, everybody. Um, so this week in Through the Bible, Through the Year, we've been looking at the parables. I should find out, who is reading the book? Is anyone reading the book at home? A few people? I see a few of these hands. Yeah, some people are sometimes reading the book, part-time readers, that's good. Um, we're studying the parables. Jesus loved a good parable. In fact, if you, depending which scholar you read, they, there might be up to six uh, parables and para, 60 rather parables and parabolic sayings in the New Testament, which equates to about a third of what Jesus said. Um, and so it's an important uh, type of literature for us to read and to understand properly. And so we're going to talk about that a little bit today. I find definitions helpful. I'm a concrete thinker. Um, and so bear with me in that. Still working out how to work the clicker. Um, and so I found this definition in uh, Elwell's Evangelical Dictionary of Theology. It says, a parable is a form of speech, either a story or a saying, used to illustrate a point the speaker is trying to make. And so it's a pithy, it's a pithy kind of story that illustrates a point. It tries to prove a point or show a point clearly uh, that Jesus is trying to make. And for Jesus, usually the point was about the kingdom of God, uh, the character of God, uh, or um, God's kind of expectations for his people. I, I have heard this neat little phrase somewhere. I don't exactly know where I got it from, um, but I like it. I think it's helpful. It says that a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly message. It's an earthly story with a heavenly message. It looks at the earth, but it tells us something about God, something about heaven, etc. Now, Probably most of us feel like we know this, even if it's kind of subconsciously, most of us would understand, I think, that that's how parables work, but that's not how people have always understood parables. Uh, in fact, all the way up till the 19th century, people read parables as allegories. And so what that means is that within parables, they would have taken each element and given it some sort of symbolic uh, meaning that needed interpretation. Now, we're not all Bible scholars, we're not all uh, English literature experts, and so what I thought we would do is we'll look at one of the parables uh, and we'll look at the allegorical kind of interpretation of the parable so that you can understand what I mean when I say that. Uh, and so I've picked the most infamous of all the uh, parabolic sayings that people have allegorised, the Good Samaritan. So if you have your Bible there, uh, you can look to Luke 10. We're going to read that parable together and then we will look at it. St. Augustine uh, is a very well-known character or person in church history, um, and unfortunate for him, uh, he is named almost every time as the most infamous uh, of all allegorizers of parables because of his efforts on the Good Samaritan, uh, and so we're going to look a little bit at what he had to say there. So we're in Luke 10, verses 25 to 37. It'll be on the screen for you as well. It says, and behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, uh, there's lots of he's in here, we should have put some names in probably, anyway, but he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbour? Jesus replied, 
A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbour to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. Many of us have probably heard this parable probably lots of times, um, but even if we haven't, I think we can probably look at it and get some grasp of the message the parable is trying to give us. Uh, basically, it's trying the, the, man, the lawyer has come um, to Jesus and it says that he wanted to justify himself and so therefore asks, who is my neighbour? And so he probably wanted to uh, kind of neatly box up who was his neighbour, who do I have to love, stick him in the box, uh, who is non-neighbour, therefore I don't have to love, stick him out of the box. Uh, and Jesus says, there is no such category as, no, as non-neighbour. And he does that by putting this kind of nondescript character in the story. Um, he even, uh, the character doesn't even have kind of the clothing to, to be able to um, understand who he is. And so he's just this nondescript, unidentified neighbour. And so we learn from the parable that we are to love our neighbour who is everybody, everyone who, anyone who might need our help. And that's the power of the parable. Most people with, with any kind of uh, vague understanding of, of the literature will look at the parable, read it and understand the basic meaning. We might be able to learn all kinds of other fun things about it if we study Samaritans or if we study Denarii uh, or if we study uh, any other number of things, we might be able to get more detail. But the basic message of the parable is clear and succinct. Go and show mercy to anyone who needs it. Go and do likewise, as Jesus concludes in the parable. But that is not how um, St. Augustine understood the parable. In fact, I, I throw him under the bus, but it's not how anybody in his time understood the parable of the Good Samaritan. So instead, he came up with a very complex allegory for how it should be understood. So I should warn you, I'm just going to rattle this off. Don't worry about trying to understand it or memorise it because it is pretty intense. And so strap yourselves in. So he believed, he said that the man in the story who was beaten was Adam. He said, Jerusalem is the heavenly city and Jericho represented our morality. The robber, he argues, uh, are the robbers, rather, he argues, are the devil and his angels who stripped the man of his immortality and beat him by persuading him to sin. The priest and the Levite are, are the priesthood and the ministry of the Old Testament. The good Samaritan is Christ. The binding of the wounds is the restraint of sin. The oil and wine are the comfort of hope and the encouragement to work. The animal is the incarnation. 
the inn is the church. When the story refers to the next day, it's talking about the time after the resurrection of Christ. The innkeeper is the Apostle Paul. The two denarii are the two commandments of love, i.e. to love your neighbour and to love God, to love God and love your neighbour. So that's what it means to allegorise a parable. We take each element of the parable and we turn it into something else. We give it some sort of hidden, symbolic meaning. Now, thankfully, um, scholars since the 19th century have been unified in their rejection of allegorising parables. Instead, they have said that parables are not allegories, not to be fundamentally understood as allegories. Instead, they are stories aimed at making a point. Uh, Now, there are some... Uh, parables which should be understood as allegories. Uh, Matthew 13 comes to mind, the parable of the sower, uh, the parable of the weeds. Um, Jesus gives those an allegorical interpretation. But by and large, uh, for the most part, parables are not to be understood as allegories. So that's uh, kind of a fair chunk of facts and figures and and people's thoughts. You're probably asking yourself though, what does all this mean for us? What does this actually matter to me? Well, I think, what can we learn from, from this? Well, I think we can learn a, a few things from the parables and the, the info of the parables. The first is that Jesus used parables heavily. And so we can do a similar thing in our own witnessing. If you think about uh, the way that a teacher might use an illustration in our uh, day and age, that's the way that Jesus used the parables. He used them as illustrations of sorts. And we can do a similar thing. We can take elements of our world and include them in our own gospel presentation to help people to understand what we're trying to say. And so an example of this, there's a a group I follow on Facebook called Third Space. I would recommend you do the same if you're interested. And their mission basically is to do this, to to try and uh, bridge the gap between culture and Christianity. And so they take things from the world around us and they try and... uh, give examples or make points about Jesus and about the gospel out of them. So they do it with all kinds of things, but recently they've been using movies and they looked at the movie 1917, which is a World War I movie. And they explained the movie and they gave it a rating, but what they also did is that they kind of uh, drew out key themes that they thought would be good conversation starters when we're talking to the unchurched. And so in this particular case, they... Uh, they pointed to uh, the element of human creativity within the movie. The movie is very expansive, apparently. I haven't seen it. Um, But they said that the human creativity in the movie uh, is part of how we image God. It's part of how we present, uh, how we are made in God's image and show him to the world around us. We know that God is the ultimate creator. God is the most creative uh, in that he created all things. And so... uh, With the unchurched, we might seek to explain to them that God is a creator. We might uh, start that conversation by pointing to human creativity in the world around us. We use human creativity as an illustration to more concretely describe God's creativity. Secondly, I think that Jesus' heavy use of parables shows us, tells us that God, by and large, uh, communicates with humanity in a fairly simple easy to understand way. As I said, that's the power of the parable, is that most people can understand what's being said. If you think about uh, church history, it's probably not surprising that parables were interpreted allegorically up until the 19th century, because a good chunk of that time, the Roman church 
uh, the Roman Catholic Church, rather, was the only church. And within that church system, uh, not everybody can read the Bible. Only the Catholic priests uh, were allowed to read and interpret. And so a method of interpretation that required quite a lot of learning and quite a lot of study would probably fly in that culture. But the reality is that Jesus' listeners were not uh, the hoity-toity, uh, big-wig um, religious people. They were tradespeople. They were fishermen. They were people on the outsides, on the edges of society. They were everyday people who could grasp and understand Jesus' reference to everyday things. I think this is a constant challenge, probably particularly for people like me who are theologically trained, people who tend to get lost in their own heads. Um, in theology world, we talk about the doctrine of uh, clarity of Scripture. And that means that the Bible can be clearly understood without the need for somebody to interpret uh, elements like we talk about here. Now, I should probably say that that doesn't necessarily mean that the Bible is always easily understood. Um, for example, Peter in his second letter um, talks about Paul's writing in the following way. I haven't got that on the slide. I'll read it to you. 2 Peter 3, 15 to 16, he says, And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you, according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. I think this is a, a, an important kind of uh, check for us in our own interpretation of scripture, or at least in how we grasp interpretations of scripture. If the interpretation before us is complex and winding and not super easy to follow, we can usually challenge it on that basis. Because the reality is, I think, that if we have enough imagination, we can look to what uh, St. Augustine came up with. If we have enough imagination, we can make the Bible say almost anything we like. And so we need to be aware of that danger. The third thing, a, a third thing that parables teach us is that they teach us earthy, practical lessons. The parables don't generally teach us perplexing kind of intangible cosmic truth. They teach us earthy, practical things, which I think are sometimes a little bit harder for us to learn than some of the things that are out there and otherworldly. I wonder if this uh, temptation to allegorize parables is actually a response to not wanting to learn the, and apply the harder truth, which is the practical truth of the parable. If we take the Good Samaritan as an example, um, I used to refer to this parable nearly every week when I was uh, working at Baptist World Aid because it teaches us a very hard lesson. It teaches us that we are to love anyone, and that is hard. Whereas the allegorized version, whilst it's difficult to understand, it also, it also makes it almost impossible to practically apply the lesson of the parable. And so at times, this kind of heady, uh, navel-gazing kind of theological discussion can really be nothing but an excuse uh, to avoid Jesus' commands that are in Scripture and that are clear. And I'm preaching that to myself probably more than anybody else, or at least as much as everybody else. The reality is that when Jesus says, go and do likewise, he means go and do 
likewise. He means go and love your neighbour like this. In the parable of the ten virgins in Matthew 25, when he says, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. He means keep watch. He means don't slack off, don't become lax regarding the judgment that's coming. Take it seriously and watch expectantly for it. In the parable of the persistent widow, uh, we learn that we should keep faith in God's justice and we should rest in that. We don't need to go and seek our own justice, maybe by some unscrupulous means, but God will have justice. Because parables are practical stories and they usually make a particular point, uh, they, they can be dangerous if we choose to interpret them in a vacuum. And so we can, grab hold, uh, we can grab hold of particular parables and if we look at them outside of the rest of Scripture, they can teach us things that are not uh, aligned with the rest of Scripture. There's a valuable rule of thumb, uh, yes, that's at the bottom of the screen there, which says, Scripture interprets Scripture. This builds a great backstop for us, I think, as we seek to interpret parables like the sheep and the goats, Matthew 25. If you don't know the parable, feel free to look it up. But basically, if we read the parable of the sheep and the goats uh, out of context, without, the referen without reference to the rest of Scripture, it would look like it was teaching us uh, that we are saved by works. We're saved by the deeds we do. It talks about uh, caring for the poor, caring for the sick and the hungry and the prisoner. But of course, we know that that's not what the rest of the Bible teaches. We know that the fundamental teaching in the New Testament is that salvation is by God's grace through repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus, not by works so that no one can boast, Ephesians 2 tells us. And so as we read the sheep and the goats, we do so through the lens of passages like Ephesians 2 or passages like James 2, which explain the interplay of faith and works. We learn through those passages that basically uh, those people with true faith will demonstrate their faith through works. We learn that true faith will inevitably be demonstrated in a changed life. But a changed life without faith is nothing but dirty rags before God. And so when we try to interpret some of these more difficult passages, we have to remember that Scripture interprets Scripture. Another key issue can be seen uh, in Mark 4, 10 to 12, if you're following along at home. We're going to look at that parable. In this parable, Jesus supposedly tells us the purpose of parables. He seems to suggest that uh, the reason he tells parables is to confuse people out of understanding the truth of the kingdom. Mark 4, 10 to 12, it says, And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and they may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. You have been given the secret of the kingdom, but others hear nothing but parables. It seems to suggest that parables are supposed to stop people from understanding 
the gospel of the kingdom. It's like there's some sort of first century secret society uh, that some people are in and some people are out. But if we apply the scripture interpret scripture method, we realise that that's just not in line with what is taught elsewhere in Scripture. 1 Timothy 2.4, for example, says that Christ desires all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Similarly, 2 Peter 3.9 says that the reason the Lord has not returned to judge is because He is patient, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And so the answer to this confusion, the confusion of Mark, uh, is that we can see from our Bibles, uh, I haven't got one in front of me, but you can see in your Bible probably, that Jesus is paraphrasing an Old Testament scripture. He's paraphrasing Isaiah 6, 9 to 10. We're lucky in our modern translations because usually they put it in brackets and they make it a special category and we can tell that that's a quote from the Old Testament. But in Jesus' time, the disciples were good Jews, And so they would have known, when Jesus said these words, they would have known that he was referring to Isaiah 6. Theirs was an oral society, not a written society like ours. And so good Jews knew and understood, uh, they memorized the words of the law and the prophets. And so when Jesus said, uh, they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven, they would have heard... Well, they would have remembered the words of Isaiah 6, uh, 9 to 10, which say, And he said, Go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull, and their ears heavy, and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. A dominant theme of uh, Mark chapter 4 is the concept of hearing. It talks about hearing 13 times just in that chapter. And when we look at Isaiah 6, it talks about hearing a lot as well. In fact, Isaiah 6, uh, 9 to 10 is, is kind of known as a classical text on the hardness of people's hearts who uh, hear but refuse to properly hear God's warning and words. And so Jesus is not saying that uh, parables are there to confound people out of the kingdom. He's saying that because of the hardness of heart that some people have, all they hear is parables. When he says, uh, whoever has an ear to hear, let him hear. Some people clearly do not have such an ear to hear. Gordon Fee and Douglas Stewart, in their very helpful little book, How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth, say of those who seemed uh, not to hear and respond to Jesus' ministry, they saw but they failed to see. They heard and even understood the parables, but they failed to hear in a way that led to obedience. Jesus' message was an unexpected message. It was, in a sense, mysterious. And so some people due to their hardness of heart, simply did not have an ear to hear the message that Jesus brought. So I think we can ask ourselves, we have to ask ourselves, do we have such an ear? Do we have an ear to hear what Jesus is teaching us through the parables? Or are we hard of heart and therefore unwilling to learn the message? 
Are we willing to learn the sometimes hard lessons that the parables teach us? Will we boldly preach the gospel to all people, recognizing that sometimes it will fall on thorns and thistles, and sometimes it will fall on good soil? Will we accept the extreme value of the kingdom of God, such that the trinkets and the shiny things of the world in which we live pale in comparison, such as we learn through the parables of the hidden treasure and the pearl of great cost? Will we heed the warning of parables like the unforgiving servant, which tell us to forgive generously, just as Christ has forgiven us extravagantly? Will we truly hear the lesson of the parable of the Good Samaritan? And will we go and do likewise, loving uh, generously without regard for people's social situation, religion, race, or anything else? Or will we simply allegorise the parable? Will we uh, allegorise it or otherwise kind of over-spiritualise the earthy, practical lesson that Jesus is trying to teach us and therefore misinterpret what Jesus is trying to say and disobey the message that he has for us? I trust that each of us will do the former. I trust that we'll read the parables in the way that they were intended to be read and apply them and live them out in our daily lives. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that you sent Jesus to earth. And the way he lived, Lord, was uh, seen, heard, understood by the masses, God, by uh, people in everyday life. God, we give you thanks that our religion is not one of hierarchy where we have to come to the priest to hear the word, God. We come to the word ourselves. We interpret it by your spirit and with your leading and guidance. God, might we do so as we consider the various parables that you gave. Father, the various lessons you tried to teach, might we take them to heart. Help us, Lord, not to get lost in our heads, in our kind of Western intellect. Help us instead to look and to hear the practical lessons that you're teaching us, lessons of love. Might you be glorified through our actions and through our words. By your Spirit, tell us the will of God, compel us to do the will of God, and help us to do the will of God, we pray. In Jesus' name.